Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 566, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, Agent of Pizza. It's a pizza! See, I got a pizza shirt on today. Yay! Pizza's so good. A fun fact is that my husband does not like tomatoes. He is extremely averse to tomatoes, and so we don't eat pizza as much as you might think, being New Yorkers. But I had to put my foot down this week and get pizza. Yeah. And you know what? It was so good. He, he'll, he'll go for it from time to time, but it's not his first thought. We commit sacrilege in our house because we live in the Bronx. There are five pizza places within a four-minute walk of my house. Legit, not even exaggerating. And so I could get good pizza very easily at any time. But we also buy these cauliflower crust pizzas from Costco, which are actually surprisingly good. And my wife has a like a little bit of a wheat allergy, so it's worth it. And so we commit some sacrilege that way. But we also have a Frank Pepe's. They have the best pizza. I have been jonesing for Chicago pizza because C2E2 happened, you know, a couple weeks ago. I want it. Oh, so good. This is the Pizza Podcast. Welcome to this week at Pizza, where we only talk about pizza. I wish. Uh, (laughs) No, we are going to go beyond the realms of juicy pizza to talk about all kinds of Marvel stuff, because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, from games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we are excited about. And this one, we have a really fun conversation later in the show. Yeah, we have on Andy Park, who's Director of Visual Development at Marvel studios he's worked on just about everything (laughs) he's worked on so many marvel studios projects and we get into a whole bunch of what he's worked on in the past it's a really fun interview so stick around for that it's labor day this weekend we're gearing up for d23 but we still got some good juicy news for you you're welcome let's get into it yeah of course we had the latest episode of marvel studios she hulk attorney at law episode three is out now only on Disney Plus. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with this episode? This every time I watch an episode, I'm like, did they do this for me? Is this for me personally? So good. If you have not watched the episode yet, small spoiler, I'm just going to let you know that there is a Megan the Stallion storyline. She's clearly a big nerd. I saw her. She had like Sailor Moon outfit on some concert she did recently. She does like amazing nails all the time. And she did like the most amazing Venom nails last year. She is a fan. This episode is so iconic. It's a continuation of last week's storyline of Jen taking on the case of Emil Blonsky, aka Abomination. Just watch it. If you're not watching this series yet, honestly, get it together. And of course, look out for episode four next Thursday, only on Disney+. Plus. As much as we love episode three, episode four may have the greatest character to be introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe this year. Yes, absolutely. I can't wait for episode four. No spoilers, just wait for it and enjoy it. And of course, you can always check out the Marvel must-haves, all of the cool product inspired by Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law. There's a She-Hulk shirt, an Abomination shirt. It's got Emil Blonsky kind of like kicking back and looking cool. There's an Emil Blonsky slash Abomination Funko Pop. There's lots of cool stuff. So go over to marvel.com slash must-haves to see all the cool product around the show. 
It's so fun. Yeah. If you want something different for your She-Hulk vibes, you can also check out Marvel Puzzle Quest because they are introducing Immortal She-Hulk into the series. She is a five-star rarity character with affiliations to heroes, Avengers, Team Iron Man, Gamma Mutates, and Enhanced. She has a toolkit that has got tons of cool abilities, makes her super, super powerful. Marvel Puzzle Quest is that game keeps on trucking. And I think we are close to nine years yeah. of MPQ. I know a bunch of our listeners play it. I'll dip back in every once in a while. I remember being there for the launch of the game. God, nine years ago. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And of course, you can play Marvel Puzzle Quest on your mobile device. It's available. Go check it out. Yeah. You know what else you should check out? It's D23 next weekend. Ryan, you're mm-hmm. going to be there getting the scoop. What are you looking forward to at D23 next weekend? Obviously, there's a bunch of big panels. There's the Walt Disney Studios panel, which includes Marvel Studios. There is the Disney and Marvel Games Showcase. That's going to be super cool. On Saturday, there's, uh, aside from the big movie panel, there's Marvel Comics celebrating 60 years of The Amazing Spider-Man. You can also stream that. On Sunday, there's one that I'm very much looking forward to, which is the Disney Parks Experiences and Products panel, because I always love going to them and seeing all the innovations and the things they're coming up with and looking to the future of our experiences. We have a trip booked. Our family has a trip booked to Walt Disney World. It's going to be Catherine's first time. I'm very much excited. So like, this is a thing that is going to be really important for our family going forward, knowing how much Catherine's going to love this. So yeah, we're, we're super yeah. excited. So the panels are big. Seeing the show floor is going to be great. Of course, Marvel Studios is going to have a presence there, which is going to be super terrific. And then the hunt for trying to find a good present for my, my wife and my daughter. That is always going to be a delight. I... I have a feeling you're not going to have a problem with that. And of course, if you're like me and you're going to be at home, head over to d23.com or the D23 Expo app so that you can watch the live streams and follow along with all the cool stuff that's happening in real time and or check out next week's episode Mm -hmm. of This Week in Marvel. We will probably be releasing the episode maybe a a little late so that we can fit in some D23 news. More on that soon. Look out for next week's episode. I'm sure we'll have a little something in there for you. Yeah. And producer of the show, Isabel, will be there with me. And so we'll hopefully get some more content and maybe put out some extra stuff. So even if we're a little late with our main episode, maybe we'll give you a little something special from D23 Expo next week. So stay tuned for all that. Yeah. While Ryan's away, the rest of us will play. We've got some great stuff coming from Mondo, all Spider-Man No Way Home themed. And there are some beautiful prints. Ryan, you have had a long relationship with Mondo. Tell the folks what it is. So the artist, Matt Taylor, who is wonderful and has done a ton of work on stuff for Marvel through Mondo and and other places, he has done four editions of a really cool Spider-Man No Way Home poster. And normally it's like, it's tough for us to talk about Mondo stuff, right? Because they go on sale and then they're like, sold out. Well, one of these will be sold out by the time you hear this. It is a variant edition of this poster for Spider-Man No Way Home, where Spidey in the front is in a black and gold suit. It's really cool, but I'm sure it's gone. But there are other three editions, and they each sort of feature a different Spidey from Spider-Man No Way Home in the, the main front position. And they are all going on sale. They're already on sale right now, and they will end on Tuesday, September 6th. So you can actually get your hands on a Mondo screen print 
if you get up on this. You go to mondoshop.com. They're really gorgeous. They're really cool. You have three different ones to choose from or buy all three, my friends. Yeah. And they're also beautiful. They're two foot by three foot. And it's like a proper movie poster. It's got Doctor Strange in the center. It's got all of the different Peter Parker slash Spider-Man variants kind of around him. And then each different poster, as Ryan said, you know, has a different version of Peter Parker there in the center in the Spider-Man costume. They're just beautiful. I love Mondo stuff. They make the coolest stuff, the coolest art, the coolest prints. They've got tons of cool pins and other swag that they sell. And this is just one of their latest, greatest, coolest ones. Yeah, go get it. All right. What else is going on? We've got some cool Marvel Legends figures from Hasbro that went on sale this week, including... Ryan, do you want to say it? You do the correct pronunciation. Gore, the god there it butcher. Is. <laughs> <You're> perfect. <laughs> I know. I've been sick for a week, and so that just that pushed me back two days on my recovery path. That is the joy of having a toddler, is all the diseases <laughs> they will bring home to you until they're about seven years old. <laughs> of course, the character is inspired by Marvel Comics' Thor, God of Thunder, the iconic series that introduced Gore the God Butcher. And the figure comes with two accessories, including an alternate head and hand. If you want to, you know, show him off wielding his legendary Necro Sword. And of course, Marvel Legends series Gore will be available. It's on pre-order now, exclusively at Amazon. So go pre-order yours before they are gone. Let's get into some comic stuff now, because this week we announced the Unforgiven Saga. There's two things that run in my head. Anytime I see the word Unforgiven Saga, I think of the movie Unforgiven, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you've never seen it out there, go watch it. It's a wonderful movie. I also then think of the Metallica song. Anyway, let's continue on because the Unforgiven Saga is a three-part vampire epic coming next year, written by Tim Seeley with art by Sid Cotian. Sid Cotian right now is actually doing art for a Gambit series. I say, uh, because it stars Gambit, but it's a really good, and Sid's art is really fantastic in it, so I'm excited to see what he does for The Unforgiven. It's going to bring back The Forgiven. It's a fan-favorite team of superheroes that debuted way back 11 years ago in Fear Itself, Hulk versus Dracula, and so this new saga is going to kick off with Unforgiven Spider-Man number one, where this team called The Forgiven will confront a new foe with a desire to transform vampires into their most powerful and violent selves. And then from there, we're going to see X-Men Unforgiven and Avengers Unforgiven. I love some vampire drama. Oh, so Lorraine, for our Halloween movie-a-thon, I think yeah. we're going to do vampires this year. Mm, I think I'm going to finally do the Predator movies because I don't think I've ever actually seen them. I saw some of them when I was a child and it scared me and then I never watched it. So I think I'm going to do some Predator movies. I continue to like to do them in pods because I watch so many. Like I usually watch at least 30. I think last year I watched 50 or 60. In one month? Yeah, maybe bleeding in a little bit into September and November. But yeah, so I like to do pods. So I think I'm going to try to do the Predator movies. My husband very much enjoyed Prey, but I'm saving it for my Halloween viewing pleasure. Fair enough. That's been Movie Talk. This weekend, Halloween movies. So anyways, 
Look out for Unforgiven Saga, and that's coming next year. And also coming next year in January, there is going to be a Wasp limited series starring Janet Van Dyne and Nadia Van Dyne celebrating the 60th anniversary of Wasp. And Al Ewing is going to be writing that, which is very cool because, of course, he was writing the previous Ant-Man 60th anniversary celebration series. And it's going to have art with Casey Nye. This is going to be really fun. Janet Van Dyne is going to start a new chapter in her superhero career. She's setting out to change up her role a little bit with the Avengers, but a villain from her past is going to rise out of the shadows to, you know, ruin all that she has created in her 60 years. So <laughs> uh, that's going to be a really fun adventure. She's going to be joined by Nadia Van Dyne, which I just I love their relationship so much, you know, over the years that they've developed having, you know, Nadia be Hank's daughter. But of course, Nadia didn't find out she was Hank's daughter until after his death. And so Janet has really stepped in as her surrogate parent after she was raised in the Red Room. So it's going to bring together both of their histories in this series, and they're going to face just a huge threat together that's going to test them in new ways. And I think it's going to just be such a fun series. I really loved Al's Ant-Man work, and I'm really looking forward to this as well. Yeah. If anyone out there has not already read the Unstoppable Wasp comics, oh, there are like it's so good. 18 or so issues from a couple years ago. Worth the read. Go check them out on Marvel Unlimited. Get them from your local comic shop. So oh. good. You will immediately fall in love with Nadia and see that connection between Nadia and Janet is so pure and so good. So and it's going to make this series even better for you. Oh, man. I definitely just had a good cry reading that series. It was <sighs> like not a bad cry either. No. Just like like, it's so nice. It's so nice. Also, something that's nice. Do you like that segue? Watch mm -hmm. me go. The Hellfire Gala is now on Marvel Unlimited. Maybe you saw what happened at this year's X-Men Hellfire Gala, uh, including a certain mutant joining the X-Men. But the entire Hellfire saga is now available on Marvel Unlimited, including X-Men Hellfire Gala Confessionals and the new secret X-Men arc of X-Men Unlimited. You can watch the trailer about it on Marvel.com, or you could just go read it over on Marvel Unlimited. Um, we talk about Marvel Unlimited all the time, but if you don't know, it is the online subscription service that gives you access to literal tens of thousands of Marvel comics. If you are not signed up yet, please go to marvel.com slash unlimited and sign up and just do yourself a favor. You can read so many comics. So many of the new comics are heading over there very quickly now. There's a very short delay between when they hit the shelf and when they hit Marvel Unlimited. Don't miss it. It's so good. The interesting thing, normally it's about three months between an issue's release mm -hmm. in comic shops and digitally, and then it hits Marvel Unlimited. I believe this is a little bit of a shorter window for the X-Men Hellfire Gala special. It's it's a little bit less. And then on top of that, that bonus stuff of the confessionals, which adds like extra context to some of the characters who didn't make the X-Men team. And then the Secret X-Men arc follows up on the Secret X-Men issue that came out right around the Hellfire Gala about a, another team of X-Men and what they were doing. I really love this sort of way we're expanding the Hellfire Gala story in all these different ways. It's super cool, all part of Marvel Unlimited, so go check it all out right now. You know, talking about comics, talking about great stuff, we have Marvel's Pullist Podcast, which is the show that I co-host that is all about Marvel comics. You know, this week we mixed it up, because every week we have a reading club where we touch on something that is in Marvel Unlimited, but we decided to do something different this week. We chose a brand new issue 
Amazing Fantasy number 1000 because it's this big, amazing celebration of Spider-Man with creators such as Neil Gaiman, Rainbow Rowell, Dan Slott, Steve McNiven, Jonathan Hickman, Michael Cho, and many, many others. And it was one of our picks of the week. And we decided to, instead of just talk about it a little bit, we expanded our reading club to just fully focus on the issue with editor Nick Lowe, who gives us a ton of behind the scenes information about the making of the issue, talking about how he convinced a bunch of creators to do it, how he chose what stories to do and and all this stuff. It was really, really great to get that perspective on this issue, which is truly one of the must-haves for the year on top of Amazing Fantasy 1000. Our picks for the week are Thunderbolts number one and The Variants number three. The Variants is a Jessica Jones series, which rules. It's by mm-hmm. uh, Gail Simone and Phil Noto. So it's gorgeous and it's funny and it's sad and it's it's everything. So go read those. And of course, listen to Marvel's Pull List on Sirius XM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Also currently going on Marvel's Voices. It's back for its sixth season hosted by our pal Angelique Rocher. And this season's theme is Marvel, a window to our world focused on the global influences of the Marvel Universe and how the nationality of writers and artists working with Marvel has expanded, leading to a more widespread cultural influence of the Marvel Universe. Episode two is now out, and the guest host is a fave of ours, Tochi Onyabuchi. He chats with Nigerian writer-slash-artist team of Doton Akande and Murawa Ayodele, and it's just a delight. Tochi's great. He's a, a novel. Novelist, and now he's writing uh, one of our Captain America series. Yeah. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on the SiriusXM app or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you uh, so please. Go check it out. Listen, Angelique is a good friend and uh, we love what she does and all the cool stuff they make. Yeah. Speaking of people we love and the cool stuff that they make, it is time for our interview with Andy Park, who is Marvel Studios Director of Visual Development at Marvel Studios. Andy has been doing concept art all the way back Mm -hmm. since the first Marvel Studios Thor film. But one of the coolest things is he has been the visual development person in charge of Wanda Maximoff and Scarlet Witch the entire time from every movie, television series, appearance. It's so cool to talk to him. I, you know, I've known Andy for a long time. I think you have too, Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And so it was really neat talking to him. Yeah. And of course, this interview is part of a bigger series of interviews we're doing, spotlighting the wonderful work that's done at Marvel Studios. Last time we had on casting director Seraphine, and we're so excited to have on Andy Park now to talk about the world and design of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So let's take a listen right now. All right, Lorraine, it's very exciting for us right now because we're talking to Swell Fella, a person who's done a lot of work for Marvel and Marvel Studios. It is Mr. Andy Park. Hello, Andy. Hey, hey, Ryan. Hey, Lorraine. How's it going? We're so stoked to have you and to chat. So pretty darn great. (laughs) That's awesome. What is your Marvel origin story? How did you first, when you were a kid or even when you were older, how did you first get connected to the Marvel world, the characters? What was the first exposure you had? I mean, probably the earliest exposure is probably Saturday morning cartoons. But those were like hard to watch because they were only at 6 a.m., I remember. So it's like, whoa, you have to be really dedicated. And it was animated comic book. So that was the earliest memory I have. But for the comic books, it was in middle school. I grew up in Orange County in in California. 
and it was like a new kind of neighborhood. So there wasn't a lot of anything, no movie theaters. And then finally, there was a, the first comic book store. So I remember going there and yeah, I saw the cover to Iron Man number 200 drawn by Mark Bright, inked by Bob Layton. And I've known of the character, but I've never seen him in this new armor that he's wearing, the Silver Centurion armor. And he's fighting Iron Monger. So I remember it just stood out to me because I'm like, never really cared for Iron Man, that gold and red for some reason. But then this armor, for some reason, just really spoke to me. It was like darker reds and the, and the silver, which was like colored white. And then the more dome-shaped helmet and then the, all that stuff just felt beefier. And so that's the thing that got me in because I bought that. And from that point on, I, I was obsessed. I collected everything that had the Silver Centurion in it you know, West Coast Avengers and every Avengers annual or wherever he appeared. So that that was my gateway drug into <laughs> into Marvel, <laughs> the world of Marvel. And then from there, I started collecting, you know, I mentioned West Coast Avengers, Spider-Man. And then eventually, once I became more like a teenager, then the X-Men comics started really speaking to me and the, the more serious, darker themes. So then I just became obsessed with um, X-Men. And then... Because I've always been an artist, I've loved drawing, so you know I'd always copy it. Then the dreams of becoming a comic book artist set in. That's incredible. And now you've taken it even a step further to be director of visual development at Marvel Studios. What was the evolution from you know being that artist, you know who loves comics and that kind of thing, to being someone who works for Marvel Studios? Yeah, it's one of those things that I occasionally have to pinch myself because. As an adolescent, I was obsessed with Marvel comics, you know, Marvel zombie, I guess, right? And then I had dreams of becoming comic books. So I actually achieved that dream. I went to San Diego Comic-Con when I was like a freshman, sophomore year in college, going to UCLA. And then I showed my portfolio around. I met a guy named Rob Liefeld. By that time, him, Jim Lee, and, you know, all the other image founders, it was like a big thing, right, in the 90s. So I got hired by his studio. It was called Extreme Studios at the time. So I started working in comic books, and then I drew some Marvel comic books, achieved that dream of drawing for X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, with Chris Claremont as the writer. So that was like one of those, wow. Not bad. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) Alan Davis was the regular artist, so I was like, yeah, it was amazing. So eventually, I did make a switch in my career to become like a concept artist. So I started doing more like digital painting, designing characters. I worked at Sony Santa Monica on the God of War game. And then eventually I got hired. It was like uh, Ryan Minerding and Charlie Wen. They started the visual development department over at Marvel Studios because those two were very instrumental in the very early Marvel Studios films, namely Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Captain America and Thor. And then around that time, that's when Avengers was going to start. And that's when Kevin Feige and Victoria Alonso, Luis Despacito, they kind of commissioned them to say, you know what? You guys are amazing. I think it behoove us to have like an in-house team of artists because we're going to have all these connected films moving forward. Normally in film, for the listeners who aren't familiar, in film, usually concept artists are just freelancers. So they just get hired and then they get laid off, you know, once their film is done. And Kevin and them wanted to do it differently where that they have an in-house group of artists where we can kind of work on all the films as well as hire freelancers. So... Um, yeah, I was the first one they hired back in 2010. I got hired to work on the Avengers. Wow. But um, I got to do some stuff on the first Thor as well as first Captain America. So if you were to tell 
2010, Andy. 12 years later, <laughs> you know, there's going to be like almost 30 projects out. Endgame's, the, you know, was the highest grossing film of all time. And it's still going strong. I would have been like, no way. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And then about almost seven years ago now, that's when I kind of became a leader. And I became the um, visual development supervisor where I started leading the films. Because at that point, Ryan, you know, as the head of visual development, he was leading all the films. And then... I stepped in as well to lead the other films that he's not leading because there were so many films going on at the same time, right? And then my title now is the Director of Visual Development, so I will lead certain films. Yeah, I can't believe, like, my journey is kind of full circle, you know, from, you know, loving comic books as an adolescent to working in comics, fulfilling that dream, to eventually working on the live-action films of these comic book characters that I love. Like, it's been nothing but a dream come true. That's amazing. Yeah. It's not bad. We love a good a good story <laughs> like that. It's inspirational. I want to rewind a little bit. You know, you mentioned you were getting hooked on the comics and you were, you know, starting to pay attention to the artists and stuff like that. How did you learn to draw? Was it the tracing? Did you get a book? Did you take classes? Like, what was it that really started to get you into the art side of things? Yeah, I remember my earliest memory was just drawing, right? Like, I remember going to Ringling, Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Ringling Brothers and Barnum there and Bailey's Circus. There you go, there you go. Yeah, and then I remember after that doing a big drawing of what I remember and winning some kind of contest when I was, like, in kindergarten. And I just remember I always drew, right? So I always enjoyed it. Early memories were always just kind of, like, drawing from cartoons. So, you know, back in the day... Like in the 80s when I was a, a child, kind of challenging compared to now, right? To find like, how do you draw Optimus Prime, right? Because Transformers, I was a big Transformers G.I. Joe guy. You have to use a VCR and record it, right? So I would have to pause it. But then when you press the pause button, the VCR, depending on what VCR you had, it wouldn't pause right away. It would go, it would like mm. step, duck, 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 right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's always like, and then it missed. And then after rewind and just the act of rewinding, it goes way too far. So it's just a challenge just to get a still of a character that I would want to copy. But I would just do that. I would draw from G.I. Joe, Transformers, Robotech, Thundercats, you know, just copying these characters. Eventually, once I started getting to comic books, I would not trace them, but look at it and then copy it, right? So I have a lot, a lot of Alan Davis drawings, Jim Lee drawings, Mark Silvestri, like all, all the artists that I loved. So I think that was kind of my training. Mm. And then eventually, like I loved reading the Marvel comic books. So what I would do is I'd spend the first 10 minutes reading the comic and then probably the next hour, I would just essentially study it just because I loved this. I'd look at every panel, I'd study the characters, the poses, like why does this artist, how did they draw? I remember the way Mark Bright drew clouds and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he put like horizontal lines in the bottom, but the top is kind of like bubbly and bouncy. Okay, that's interesting. I might not know exactly why they would do that, but um, yeah, it is just kind of emulating copying but i knew i never really wanted to be a clone of somebody i just kind of want to absorb a little bit from all these different like inspirational artists that i admired and just kind of absorb as much as i can through osmosis well i mean like what perfect training to go into visual development in a way because obviously like there's 80 years of comics and inspiration to pull from but you also have to make it something new and unique and your own for anyone who's not really familiar with how concept artists work, what sort of things are you working on creating and where are you pulling inspiration? Yeah, that's a great question. My job as a 
concept artists, well, specifically, I'll speak for over here at Marvel Studios, you know, in the visual development department, our job is to translate and to design the characters, the heroes and the villains that you see in these films and now TV shows or streaming shows. And of course, the first thing we always do is start from the amazing source material by the amazing artists like Steve Ditko, uh, Jack Kirby, all these artists through the decades that have created these characters. And then we're translating it for the reality that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? So the first film being Iron Man, that set the tone for like, what kind of world is this cinematic universe? And a lot of the early films, even though there was definitely inspiration from the original source material, there's also a lot of inspiration taken from, I would say, the Ultimates, right? Because I think I remember reading the Ultimates for the first time. And when I read that, I was like, wow, this really feels like they were thinking about how do you translate what can be seen as goofy of the you know original source material and how do you make it real and believable and cool, right? Mm-hmm. So I think taking some of that idea, combining those things and really pushing it forward to a cinematic universe that is the challenge of doing the cinematic universe for film, for live action, is that the room for error when it comes to like the believability and the room for error, like you can easily go to ridiculous where people are just like, oh my gosh, that looks so stupid. Or like, why would someone wear that? Like, you know, it's too colorful. Like, it looks great in the comic book because it's a 2D medium, right? It's a graphic medium. But when it comes to real world live action, like the room for error is just, it's really challenging. So trying to um, balance with those parameters, that's kind of where the challenge is. And, you know, working on these films, some films are a little bit more comic book accurate. Some characters, some are a little bit more as they always like to say, grounded. Uh, And those things kind of depend on the director, you know, the tone that they're going for. So it can kind of shift. Some are a little bit more in the goofy side, but still real. Some are a little bit more like, wow, that was really like kind of serious. That is the fun in being a concept artist because we get to kind of explore all those options. When I design a character, it's not just one painting or one drawing. There's like sometimes hundreds of versions of that one costume that you end up seeing on screen between not just myself, many artists. I would love to just see the millions of iterations of costumes that could have been. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you can see some of them, not all of them, but in the art of books that we put out. Mm -hmm. You can see a lot of them and um, you always hear the comments like, why isn't it that one? (laughs) 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 And it's kind of like, it's a compliment if it's something you did, but it's also... It's weird because like, oh, the, the one that's approved is I did that one as well. <laughs> so you don't know how <laughs> that to take one's that. also good, right? <laughs> I know. You're like, mm, thank you. <laughs> you talked a little bit about how you got into working for Marvel Studios and, and being part of the visual development team. I'm curious, looking at the overall team, where are your, the other folks on visual development coming from? Are they coming from fine art backgrounds? Is it advertising backgrounds? Is it, you know, I think of how comic book editors, sometimes they're like, from theater or journalism or mm. English and like how that a different skill set really helps influence and expand what we can do in our creative endeavors. What is it like for visual development? Yeah, that's a great question because whenever I talk concept artists, I'll talk about the VizDev team, right, at Marvel Studios. It's a pretty diverse background. There's a lot of people that did go to art school, like myself, in between my comic book career and video game career, I did go to art school because I wanted to actually 
get a formal education in art because up until that point, even when I was drawing comic books, I was a self-taught artist. But I was always like, I want to understand color theory and I want to touch oil paint and know how to do acrylics and do life drawing, things I never had access to growing up. So there's a lot of artists that actually have that similar. Like, I would even venture to say most of them did go to art school at some point. And like a lot of artists, myself included, most of us didn't graduate. <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a weird career where at the end of the day, nobody cares if you have a degree. At the end of the day, it's all about your portfolio. So if the high school student who just graduated has a better portfolio, that kid will win out over the master's degree because it's all about how good can you draw <laughs> and design. So a lot of artists did go to art school. There's a lot of people who did video games as well. I think part of the reason for that is because in film, it's a little bit more challenging to get those kind of jobs because it, you can't just like apply. It's a weird world. Video games, you can just apply, just like animation, you can apply. But in film, you kind of just have to kind of know people and know that there's an opening. And <laughs> it's such a, and there's unions. It's, it's a strange, different world. And then some artists, even when they went to school, they have different backgrounds. Like some have a graphic design degree. Ryan Minerding had an industrial design degree. And like someone like Phil Saunders, who helped design the first Iron Man, you know, had more of a automotive design background in art school. Appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I love that it's all kinds of folks. It's a whole tapestry of peeps. But you've gotten to work on so many projects over the years. What have been some of your favorite projects that you've gotten to work on? And what projects can you tease that are not out in the world yet, maybe have been announced that you're working on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hard questions. The first one is like, which child do I like better, my son or daughter? <laughs> <laughs> I've worked at so many different places through the years and at so many places where I've worked, like after a couple of years, like when I was working on the God of War series for video games, I worked there for five years. And it's amazing, like the people there, the games are awesome, right? And you get to design like creatures and Greek gods. But five years of designing Greek themed characters, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is too much. There's only so many togas and uh, <laughs> ram's horns creatures that I can design. So you get bored as an artist, right? So I've been here 12 years, 12 plus years. Not a day have I been at Marvel that I've been bored. And the reason is, even though it's all comic books and it's all Marvel comic books, every single movie feels different, right? Like one day I'm working on like the Avengers and then the next movie I'm working on is Guardians of the Galaxy. And then I'm jumping back to Ant-Man, Shang-Chi. It's like, how do you get bored? Like every single one is like a different, each one's are different genres, right? Favorites? Oh man, there can never be just one because each of them are so special, but I would point out some pivotal ones like Avengers, of course. Like that one was monumental for me because I remember when I first watched the first Iron Man in the theater, Iron Man was my favorite character growing up and to see him come to life, I was just utterly blown away. And then at the end tag scene when Nick Fury came out, I was probably the only one in the theater to raise my hands in the air and be like, oh my God, I know exactly what he's saying. Like, like they're leading to the Avengers. It's the movie growing up when you talk to your friends, you're like, you can never do an Avengers film. You know, all those main characters. But the fact mm -hmm. that they alluded that they're going to start doing that, I was like, I need to work on Avengers. Working on that film, there was many times 
especially in the first early months of working on, you know, this week I'm designing Black Widow, next week I'm doing designs for whatever, you know, other characters. I was just pinching myself and I'd sit back and just be like, I can't believe I'm working on Avengers, you know. It was a dream project. So that one was really special. Ant-Man was really special because, I mean, that's not a character I cared about at all <laughs> growing <laughs> up. <laughs> but that was like the first main hero character that I got to design. I designed like Black Widow and Avengers and stuff, but the, the titular headline character was Ant-Man. So working on that costume look. So that one was special. And then the first film that I, once I became a leader, was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So that one, you know, of course, leading that film and leading our team. <laughs> I'm like naming everything. Ragnarok. <laughs> Ragnarok <laughs> was amazing because of Taika. That guy is just, wow. He, he, he just came in and shook things up. He's one guy that I really appreciate because he pushed us more than any other director that I've ever worked with to a place where I would even question myself. Where I'm like, uh it's too far. Like, no, no, we can't go there. But I appreciate that Tycho went there, right? He just like, I want to just shake things up. This is not about status quo. And that's what that film is, right? Like it totally mm-hmm. shook things up in a, in a good way. But that's a really long answer to, <laughs> and I can go on, but I'll stop there. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, really, because I know you got all these movies coming up that you're working on still. It's pretty wild. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that part of your question, anything to tease, right? The ones that, that, that are coming up, um, the Marvels, as well as Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. The variety of stuff that each of us get to design is kind of crazy. Like Part of the fun in leading these films is I get to dole out the assignments, right? So it's usually not you know one person designing any particular thing because we need a lot of different options right i want various takes and every artist has their own sensibilities styles and there's so many different options to explore with any given character for a film or show so we need as many voices as possible so there will be several artists that'll do passes at that character and then that's where i will go and present all these options so for any given meeting there'll be like 20 options for Thor. And then from there, the directors and the producers get to pick and choose whatever they like, or they're like, or we don't like any of them, just keep going, or let's explore. That's their chance to kind of voice their opinions on like, let's explore something that feels a little bit more like this. And then I'll go back, relay that to the artist, we'll continue until it gets honed down. And then once they start, if they like, like a particular design, and it's the one artist, then that's when like, okay, you can run with this and finish up this design. And another great thing that's happened through the years is I mentioned I designed Ant-Man in the first one. So then in the subsequent movies, there's like an ownership of like, oh, you, you know, I'll get to design him in his subsequent appearances, right? Just like Ryan has designed all the Captain Americas and that kind of thing. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, you've mentioned a, a couple times, you know, like you're making these images that inspire the filmmakers and you're hearing pitches from Kevin about the shows. At what point do you kind of start getting brought into the process? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, to make a movie, you get a script. And then that script gets purchased and then they make the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, Marvel Studios has its own way of working and is its own special beast. Yeah, you're right. And that's the whole reason why they formed our department, right? Because at the end of the day, normally they would only have access to concept artists once the production actually starts pre-production right 
And at that point, they have some semblance of a script. And then they already hired all the other heads of the other departments from costumes to production design, VFX. The producers are all there. You know, they're all kind of running. For us, for Marvel Studios, they have the advantage of coming to us when sometimes there's not even a script yet. There's just a semblance of idea of like, that happened way back in 2012, I want to say, where Kevin came to our office and said, we're going to do Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, there's no script. Spend two weeks. You guys run wild. Go have fun. He didn't give us any direction, right? So, you know, first thing we do is he closes the door and we all look at each other and we're like, wait, that comic book that has a raccoon? Like, <laughs> that has a tree? That only can say three words? We're like, we're going to do that movie? <laughs> right? So we always think like, wow. So from there, as a team, just like the bullpen, we'll sit down. We do a deep dive into the comic books, into research exploring beyond the comic books on ideas of like what can this be and like for me like one of the first paintings I did was a team shot because there's there's no specific direction I was like and at that point there was no new Star Wars movies that were going to come out so I'm like oh this is our chance to create our Star Wars because there's not going to be anymore so for me I envisioned Guardians of the Galaxy as Star Wars but I wanted to give it like an edge so that's kind of the tone of the image that I did and then others did, you know, different tones. And we didn't know it was going to be like James Gunn and humor and all that kind of stuff. And then we started designing characters. So, yeah, that's the advantage of having our team because we jump in a lot of times that early on, right? And other times, like, there is some kind of script so we can kind of go off of that. But even if there's a script, that first script is almost never what you see in the film. It might have some bones of it, but, you know, there's always like many, 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 many versions of that script. And how much it changes because I've seen it you know year after year on how much a film can change like it's kind of amazing to see the the filmmaking process because it's and then even like evolves you know during the filming and then editing and then they do reshoots like it's a ever-growing ever-evolving kind of a, a creature that this film and then somehow eventually magic happens and they make something that look crazy and like oh, is this gonna work to like the final product where like oh my gosh it all works. <laughs> if you guys have ever read the story of Marvel Studios, that book that came out recently, if you always wonder, like, how does Marvel Studios have, you know, how are they successful? You know, how have they been this successful in an unprecedented way? At the end of the day, it's because the way they're set up is so unique compared to any other studio. You know, I'd love to get granular for just a moment on a little bit of the process of creating a character. Obviously, you're looking at comics and you guys are sort of iterating, but what are the sort of tools that you're using? You know, I know we have a ton of people who are artists themselves. Like what kind of tools are you using? How are you creating? Yeah, I am a Mac guy. It doesn't matter if you're a Mac or PC guy, but I am a Mac guy. Basically, we're industry standard is painting digitally. And it's usually it's with Photoshop, Adobe Photoshop. And then you're drawing with a Wacom tablet or some people use a Cintiq where they actually draw on the screen. I just use a Wacom tablet. So that's how we do our paintings. And the reason why that's so great is because you can do, there's a layer system. You can do iterations after iterations. You can change things on the fly versus if you had to do this by hand. Because anytime I do a painting, normally people ask like how long it takes. Usually like to do a character design, a well thought out character design, usually it takes like a day, sometimes a day and a half. And then from there, you're spending the next several days doing version after version from that base that you've created. But you have to constantly do different 
versions. So like for when I design Ant-Man, I'm doing like different helmets, right? But imagine if you had to do it on paper, like you had to draw one, but then you'd have to like get another piece of paper and redraw it. Like it'd be so hard. So working digitally is just the only way to go. And then from there, a lot of um, artists, concept artists will use 3D programs like ZBrush. And there's other 3D programs. So we'll, sometimes I'll sculpt a character to kind of help design it in a 3D so you can see it in full 360. So there's 2D concept artists, 3D is kind of merging in recent days, but that's kind of the tools of the trade. Mm. Nice. Also, I want to shout you out because you have been like paying it forward to all the artists in the world on your YouTube channel. It's so mm-hmm. cool, you know, just the stuff that you're kind of teaching. How did that come about and what kinds of stuff do you talk about on your YouTube channel? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I think I started, I forgot when, but it was just one of those, I was sitting there, like I never uploaded anything because I just don't have the time. And then I think it was during the pandemic that I was like, okay, it's been sitting there. I should probably try to make some videos. So I took that opportunity to try to on the side, you know, you know, after hours to come up with some videos. I do conventions as well. I started that a couple of years ago, maybe 2016, 17, whether it's Artist Alley or have my own booth at San Diego Comic-Con. And then so meeting a lot of not only fans, but artists, right? And then, of course, my social media from Instagram to Twitter, more recently, TikTok, (laughs) that kind of stuff. (laughs) So I engage with a lot of people who are young artists. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of desire to want to learn. And for me, there's so many tutorials now online, but it's one of those like to be able to engage with people and give back a little bit. You know, I think I've always enjoyed that. That's part of the joy I have when I go to San Diego Comic-Con at my booth and talking to young artists or even just non-artists that are just fans and being able to engage with them. Like, and I see the glint in their eye and just they're absorbing it. And for me, the reason is I remember exactly what it's like being on the other side when I was a young, you know, artist, not professional yet. And going to my first Comic-Con at age, whatever I was, 17, 18, up until that point, I never met a professional artist before because I don't have anyone in my family or friends. So I remember going there and just being dumbfounded with actually seeing professional artists drawing right in front of me. And I was blown away. And then to be able to engage them and talk to them. But I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. So I was such a shy guy. I I remember I stood in front of, if you know these names, Aaron Weisenfeld and Richard Bennett, kind of newbies in the Marvel comics. But I saw their table. I saw them drawing and I was just blown away by their drawings. And both of them are very introverted quiet guys too i stood in front of their table for like three hours and i didn't say a word to them they didn't say a word to me (laughs) but i just watched them draw (laughs) i'm sure we said something but i just watched them draw so i was blown away and then you know eventually meeting like jim lee and you know rob liefeld all these things i always remember being on that side so i always want to have that perspective and give that person behind on the other side you know my time and my appreciation Well, full circle, everyone go check out Andy Park Art on YouTube. It's also just like such a soothing watch. As someone who cannot draw well and and should not be allowed to be around pen and paper, I highly enjoyed your content. So it's really fabulous. And, And of course, all of your amazing work at Marvel Studios. Andy, always a pleasure. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Big thanks once again to Andy Park coming on the show. Uh, we did some videos with Andy about design work he did for Marvel Studios, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and a whole bunch more. But of course, if you want to see Andy's work in full, you just got to experience the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Disney Plus, baby. Anytime you see Scarlet Witch, anytime you see like half the movies, Andy <laughs> has been a part of it. So please go watch some MCU. Yeah, but next week we are going to be talking about D23 and maybe some news from Marvel Games. We'll see. So in the spirit of talking a little bit about some of the exciting news out of D23 Expo, um, we're going to be talking about D23 Expo a whole lot in the coming days. And we want to know what are you most looking forward to out of D23 Expo? Let us know. Of course, you can tweet your answers using the hashtag This Week of Marvel. Email them to twimpodcastmarvel.com or send a message to us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us if it's okay to read on the show so we can read them on the show. Yes, indeedy. All right, it is time for our community section. And our question of the week last week was, what's your favorite costume from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Of course, tying into our chat with Andy Park this week. First up, on Twitter was Tonton Lolo at Litonton Lolo, who tweeted the Scarlet Witch costume from Marvel Studios. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is a piece of art. The details, the Darkhold possessions marks, everything is perfect. Fire emoji. Oh, yeah. I really particularly love when she like goes to her dark, creepy self. It's mm -hmm. really great. Mm hmm. All right, next up, we got Sasevna at Tiny Toonie, who says, the evolution of Wanda Maximoff's costumes has been incredible going from her street look in Marvel Studios Avengers Age of Ultron to a fight-ready look in Marvel Studios Avengers Civil War to her fully realized power look in Marvel Studios WandaVision with even a comic throwback uh, has been so much fun to see. Such a good call. You know, I think about when she first was introduced and she had kind of like that knee-high sock, like leather jacket, cool girl look mm -hmm. and that evolution and all of i mean all of the costumes in wandavision were unbelievable heck yeah andrew ledford at saint jimmy skywalk one tweeted i love all the costumes in marvel studios the falcon and the winter soldier but there's something about the simplicity of the spidey suit that always appeals to me particularly the amazing spider-man 2 version andrew i like that you call spidey's costume a simple one because i think about artists right and how oh. <laughs> how they have to draw the the webs throughout his entire costume and thinking about okay well here's the blue part here's the red part here's where it sort of like shifts and changes it does feel at the same time as as simple as you mentioned but it's also a very complex costume and a very incredible costume without question so that's a great pull andrew yeah all right moving on Ermin at 925 at Ermin 925 said, I actually really love the Iron Spider costume. The first time the metal arms came out, the whole audience cheered. I love this costume as well. It's so fun to see that Stark tech in the film. Really cool. Next up is Marius at Ids Costa, who tweeted, I love all Captain Marvel suits. And I like her haircut too. And Thor's new suit. Yes, I love the haircut. I thought yeah. it was really fun. One of the fun things about Thor, I, I'm sure everybody caught in Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder, the sort of montage of him growing up, and mm -hmm. he's running, and at one point he has the classic 
comic book version Thor costume mm-hmm. on for a brief second. I was like, yeah, there it is. They did the thing. The best. All right. Next up, Natty Zornworm at Chaos Oma says, it's a tie between Loki and the Winter Soldier. All of Loki's costumes are pieces of art and the metal arm and the face mask for Bucky are the stuff. I can tell that you love a brooding boy with hair in his face, but who doesn't? But who doesn't? I mean, those costumes are both beautiful. Yeah. Oya Tunes at Oya Tunes tweeted, "I love how you were able to breathe new life into Black Panther's outfit." I mean, Oya Tunes. I don't know that any new life needed to be breathed into it. It is a near perfect costume. Whether you're talking about comics or the movies, but everything that they've done for the films, so beautiful. Next up, CJ at Captain DeButt, which, wow, CJ, what a name. CJ, win name of the week. <laughs> the silliest name ever. Thank you so much for sharing it. Who said, Moon Knight's costume for Marvel Studios Moon Knight is the best he's ever had. I can't get enough of it. Can't stop, won't stop. It's so good. Very cool. Rowan at Row Row Rowan tweeted, the Scarlet Scarab's costume. It was totally unexpected, but wonderfully designed. And of course, they're talking about the uh, costume from Marvel Studios Moon Knight. That's a great one. I really hope we see more of it. Oh, man. That moment where that little mm. girl is like, are mm. you an Egyptian superhero? Oh, it was so good. My little heart. All right. Next up, Claire Louise at Toon Girl 82 said, Moon Knight, Scarlet Witch, Marvel Studios WandaVision. Black Panther, Marvel Studios, Captain America, Civil War, and a special shout out to Yelena's Vest. It's so cool and it has lots of pockets. <laughs> oh, Yelena's Vest. I love that. It's such a good character piece, too. Yeah. Just like, this is who she is. Also, I'm 100% in there for pockets. Cargo shorts, lots of pockets. Give me a vest, all the pockets. My boy Cable, all the pockets. Give oh us pockets. Pockets and pouches, baby. All right, Craig Penfold at Craig, until nighttime, tweeted, I absolutely love the Ms. Marvel costume from Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel. I assume Craig is talking about the full hero costume she has by the end of the series, which looks friggin' fantastic. Mm-hmm. Next up, Katie at K underscore Faust said, either Sam's Captain America suit or Scarlet Witch's new costume for Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Can't go wrong with those looks. They're amazing and beautiful to look at. And I'm loving the comic book accuracy. I think it's so cool, you know, what they really do, where they take inspiration from the comics. But, you know, comics are meant to be a flat medium, (laughs) Mm-hmm. They're meant to exist on a page and what is wearable on the body is like a little bit different and it needs some texture and some, you know, zhuzh. So I love that they kind of have that thing where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm looking at the comic, but it's been brought into the real world. Yeah. We also have an email from Hannah Weigard who said in response to the question of the week about favorite costume, Sylvie. Her outfit reflects who she is, a Loki who never had the luxury to be arrogant or fancy, but instead spent her life on the run just trying to survive. It's also an awesome and intimidating look, and when I heard the costume itself had special features to help Sofia Martino as a new mom, I loved it even more. Sylvie's outfit inspired my first ever foray into cosplaying, and for Halloween, I even convinced my spouse to dress up as TVA Loki. And our then two-year-old daughter was Alligator Loki, so we went out as the Laufison and Laufy daughter family. Hannah shared some photos, which are freaking adorable. 
I love this, especially because my kiddo is going to be three this year for Halloween, and she wants to be Ghost Spider, and I think my wife is going to dress up as well, and I'm sure I'll have to dress up in a great way. This is great. I love family cosplay. I love family Halloween costumes, especially when they're Marvel. Great work, Hannah. All right, one last bit of community this week is an email from our pal Grayson Wozniesenski, who says, Ms. Marvel, her costume was perfectly translated into series form, and it looks great. All right, that is it for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Hey, Brad. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Cable's Cargo Pants. Cable's Cargo Pants, where pockets mean pockets on pockets. Cable's Cargo Pants, where you can put your stuff for all your time travel needs. Pockets, 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 pockets. Yeah. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. This is who? 100%. This is pizza. Your universe. Nom, nom, nom.